life is more than just going around to enjoy things. She carries the heart of God and everywhere she is, she's just, a, a, just such a blessing. You really, really are, sister. And uh, I know that the gospel is going to advance in that part of Spain because of this sister and her husband being there. I know that I know that. And uh, so we want to just speak a blessing over her as they prepare to go. And that the couple that's coming here would experience the, the presence of God in this community and in this area, that God would do a great thing in them as well. Amen. So why don't you stretch your hands out? We're just going to, in, in a very um, simple way, but a very powerful way, we're going to just speak the blessing of the Lord over her. Father, thank you for open doors, Lord, opportunities to spread the good news through the life that Jeannie's carrying, Lord. I thank you for the grace that you've poured into her lips, Lord, for the love that you've put in her heart, Lord, for people. Lord, I thank you that you have been equipping and training her and instructing her in many things of late and that those things are, are for a reason, Lord. There's opportunities that are on the horizon for her, Lord, and we just thank you for using her and her husband in such a special way, Lord, that you would touch someone who doesn't know you or encourage someone who does but is downcast. God, I thank you for the gospel advancing even in Spain once again. And we bless her. Keep her safe. Watch over her and all that concerns her and her husband, Lord, and their house. Lord, we thank you for her willing heart to be used by you for such a time as this. Even as Esther of old, Lord, you've spoken it over her life, has favor with the king, and you hear her cries. Thank you, Father, for doing a, a beautiful, wonderful thing and bringing her back with great testimonies of your love and of your grace. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Yeah, go right ahead. That's awesome. Praise God. Well, I am excited about today. Uh, it is, as Eric mentioned, the last day of a very wonderful fast. I tell you, we just have so appreciated the presence of God along this fast in our own lives, personally, I believe corporately. We had some beautiful times in the morning here, uh, just praying and worshiping. I want to give a special thanks to our brother Dan, who helped uh, with morning worship. It was wonderful. Dan, thank you. Really, really appreciate your your uh, your ministry there before the Lord and helping us all. And uh, I believe that God has already done powerful things, many of which are about to be seen in the natural. Often what happens is, you know, you're fasting and things, you don't see them initially. Things in the spirit, like Daniel who was fasting, but in the spirit over Daniel's life, there was a great war taking place and in the heavenly realm. And Daniel was just kind of plodding along in his fast, hungry for God and the things of God, knew there was something that belonged to his generation. And, uh, and ultimately, the answer came. And I believe we're about to see some mighty answers from the hand of God. So we just want to say thank you for all of you who participated and um, pressed in. There's more to come. Uh, God is just getting going in this new season and I'm really, really excited. I do why I'm thinking about it. just want to mention it. really want to encourage you, if you're available, to come on out tonight. 
Uh, we've been in the School of Fivefold Ministry. There's no cost to the school. Uh, it's a time for equipping and training. We're specifically speaking right now into the arena of the prophetic and the underpinning for that being true worship, okay? And why it's important that we're a people who understand and participate in true worship because it creates an atmosphere where the prophetic grace of God is free to flow. And if there's ever been a time when the world needs to hear the living word of God, it is now. And so we're being very intentional about cultivating that. And tonight's message, I'll be teaching along this line. But I have something I feel God's given me concerning the wall that's about to be erected concerning our borders. And uh, there is both a natural thing occurring in the world today, but there is a spiritual thing occurring at the same time. And us as believers, the church, we have a, a, a privilege and a responsibility to participate in what God is doing. So I just invite you to come on out 6 o'clock, and I'm believing God for some wonderful things this evening. Are you with me? Yeah. Amen. Great. Well, if you've got your Bibles... Um, Get them out there, because we're going to dive right in here. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Most of you have been uh, around here. A few of you are new visitors today. Welcome to you. Uh, we've been in an interesting season and have been speaking... Uh, a little unexpectedly, I should confess, but on this topic of the zeal of the Lord. And we started that here a few weeks back and had a message concerning Jesus coming in to the temple in his day. And uh, there was things that were out of order and he came and put them back into order. And as he did this, you most of us know the story. He comes through, makes a whip, drives out the money changers and such from the temple. And as he does this, the disciples remembered what was written in the Psalms concerning him, that the zeal of the house of God had eaten him up. And we were talking about that zeal is like a jealous love a husband would have for a wife. Right? So if you messed with my wife, you did the wrong thing. Okay? And God is saying to... That's, that's right. Amen. But that the church is considered the bride of Christ and that God is very jealous and full of zeal concerning her. And there's all kinds of things that have come to minimize and defile and distract uh, His bride. And his zeal in this hour is very alive and very well. And we read several scriptures, not going to go over all that today, but uh, that referenced how God's zeal will perform certain things in this hour. It is going to happen by the zeal of the Lord. So we've been talking about what that looks like, how that affects us, and so on. And along the way, you know, as often the case is, I'll be studying and I maybe even mention it in one of the messages, but there's like a point that needs to be kind of um, uncovered more. And that's really what I want to dive into today, dealing with the very passage we came out of in the original session, Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. If this is the account, this is Mark's account of Jesus coming in and clearing out the temple. And uh, if you remember, well, let me just read these uh, two verses, Mark 11:16. 16 
and 17 is where I'm going to read. Let me pray first. Father, thank you for the great grace you've extended to us. Thanks for giving us hearts that are alert, able to hear and receive your words today in our generation, and that we would have a willing spirit. You said your people would be voluntary and willing in the day you build your army. And I thank you that that's us here today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mark eleven sixteen. 16. We're jumping right into the, the middle of the story or the account of Jesus as he's cleansing the temple. And it says this, And he would not allow any man, that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations, the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Here, right in the middle of Jesus cleansing the temple and bringing things back into their proper order, this interesting insight that Mark gives us, he's the only writer that gives us this particular insight, but he says not only did he throw out the money changers and those that were making merchandise there in the temple, but he forbade people that were carrying vessels or objects through the temple. And we understand the temple, because he clarifies this, is supposed to be a house of prayer. And there were people walking right through the time of prayer and the ministry of prayer, disrupting, distracting, and defiling, really, the ministry of prayer. And we said probably the reason they were walking through the temple like this was because it was a shortcut. You know, it's just a shortcut. I mean, it's like, who wants to carry the vessel all the way around the temple when you can simply go in the side door, you know, and come out the other door? I mean, that makes sense, right? We just want to get there quicker. We want to get it done quicker. But it was a shortcut. And Jesus, when he saw that going on, put a stop to it. He shut it down. I want to talk a little bit about a zeal to forbid certain things, to forbid them. There are some things that should be allowed and some things that should be forbidden. Now, there's an interesting connection. These two verses we just read that needs to be understood and um, applied. The first one is, it says, verse 16, he wouldn't allow anybody to carry something through. He stopped it. But then the next verse says, and he taught them. I find this fascinating because it's not just about stopping things. It's about what should be happening instead of those things. Are you with me? It's not just about what you stop doing. It's about what you start doing. That's why fasting is not just about not eating. You know, some people make it all about the willpower to not eat. It's not, it's not about not eating. It's about praying, <laughs> you know? And, and what happens is we're actually carving out time and emotional resource and a, re a real reminder, when your stomach isn't getting fed, you're very aware of that. And it's kind of like a constant flag that says there's some reason for this. And get on with the reason. Be about the purpose, right? And so here, these two verses, he stopped them from carrying vessels. And then he taught them. And here's something that's important, I think, for us to grasp. Is that God is going to be, he already is, but he's going to be calling us to examine the stuff that interrupts. Interrupts shortcuts that come in the way of our primary ministry to the Lord. Primary ministry to the Lord. You know, prayer 
That's the ministry. Jesus said it's, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And yet they in that day had made it a den of thieves. Prayer and shortcuts don't go together. Make a note. <laughs> prayer, effective prayer. I'm talking about prayers that matter, prayers that make something happen, prayers that get heaven's attention and heaven's response. Prayer and shortcut. It's like water and oil. They don't mix. And yet, as a, as a culture, we're so tempted in this arena of shortcuts. We are the fast generation. Internet speed's got to be the fastest. You know, food service at the restaurant's got to be the fastest. Everything's got to be fast, fast, fast. And I'm just saying, that's all good. I love fast service at the restaurant. I love fast internet. But what I'm finding is that heaven is looking for a people that have chosen to forbid stuff that gets in the way. Right? And so here we have this theme of prayer and Jesus forbidding. He taught them. He wanted them to understand why this matters. You know, we often think that shortcuts save us time. Isn't that right? I mean, is that why we do shortcuts? But let me say this. In the, in the, in the arena of prayer, shortcuts do not save time. They cost time. You know that you can get more done by spending time in prayer than you can by naturally trying to scratch it and make it happen. If you get heaven's grace on the thing that you're trying to accomplish, a lot more can happen a lot more quickly. And, and we don't seem to get this easily. I, I have to speak for myself. I've struggled in this arena for many, many years as far as like being pulled to physically go do it when God has called me to pray more about it. Pray more about it. Most of you've heard of the uh, Paul Young Cho in Seoul, Korea, the largest outward church in the world. At times, his congregation has spiked to a million people. <laughs> that's big. Say, that's big. <laughs> that's, that is a big church, a million people. And, uh, and often, when asked how that happens, what you find when you start peeling back, and by the way, you don't have to peel too far to find it, is a culture that has given themselves to prayer. They have a place called Prayer Mountain, right? Most of you perhaps are aware of this, but they have a place called Prayer Mountain, and they have these little grottos cut out in the mountain, and people go and spend days shut in, days shut in, in prayer. It's a great story. He was shut in himself one day in prayer, and he told his secretary, don't interrupt me for anything. I'm in prayer. While in, you know, if you have a million people-ish in your congregation, you have a certain level of authority in your country, right? So while in prayer, the president of South Korea calls his office wanting to talk to him. The president calls to talk to him. And uh, his secretary says, I'm sorry, he's busy. He can't talk to you right now. And he said, well, tell him it's the president. And she says, and she, was, she was just a bulldog. No, I can't. So anyways, he finally emerges out of his office hours later. And he says, do I have any messages? The first one she hands him was from the president. So he calls the president back. And the president says to her, or to him rather, are you aware that your secretary wouldn't let me through to you? And his response was, are you aware that I was speaking to the president of the universe? <laughs> Whoa, I mean, come on. I mean, you've heard that many, but that's a powerful story. That's a true story. Are you aware? I was talking to the president of the universe. 
probably silence on the phone. I can only imagine. In his early years of ministry, he, it was nothing for him to spend five and eight hours a day in prayer. Now I realize that's not practical for most of us who have secular jobs and whatever, but, but he understood. Now, you got a church that big, it'll drive you to prayer or it'll drive you crazy. Right? Either to prayer or to crazy. You choose. <laughs> Shortcuts as they relate to the ministry of prayer. That's what was going on. They were walking through, taking a shortcut, right through what was supposed to be prayer. Shortcuts and prayer. In Matthew's Gospel, the same account of Jesus cleansing the temple, Matthew's take on it, after Jesus cleared the temple, it's interesting, it says that the blind, this is Matthew 21 and verse 14, it says that the blind and the lame came to the temple and Jesus healed them. Jesus healed them. He healed them after he put the thing back in order. Now to me, there's some significant points here. When he forbade them in Mark's gospel to carry vessels through, he sat and he taught them. Check this out. When we get out of the shortcut mentality, I believe that the anointing on the teaching will go to a new level. Come on, we have a culture of shortcuts. And if we'll forbid certain things, let God expose them. Let God show us where we're walking in a certain place where we shouldn't be and where we're trying to get things done quicker, but we violated heaven's principle of prayer first. We violated it. We, I'm, I'm saying we, not you, we. Okay? Teaching ministry goes up. Jesus forbade, he started to teach. Whoa, what a word. Also, based on this verse, the lame and the blind came to the temple that is now cleansed, prayer put back in its rightful place, a house of prayer, and Jesus healed them. You see, when prayer is back in its rightful spot, people are drawn and they get delivered and healed. Why? Because Heaven is present because prayer is present and priorities are where they're supposed to be. I'm not sure how you see it or how you feel about it, but I can say for me, I am not content to spend my life in mediocre, shallow, powerless Christianity. And I know that the only way and the zeal of the Lord is performing certain things right now and and there's a zeal that's burning in the heart of God. And if you're a believer, I believe it's in your spirit too. There's something deep is crying to deep. There's something deep down inside of us that says, there's more and I want it. Though our flesh is weak, our spirits are willing. And God's looking at our willing spirit and he says, come on, I'm going to fan that flame. Just give me your hand and I'm going to pull you up into my chariot and we're going to go somewhere together. You know, when we were talking about some of this in earlier sessions, we, we made a contrast. Remember, Jesus said, you know, it's, it's written that my father's house, this house should be a house of prayer, a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And we did a contrast, remember this, between the house and the den mentality. There's a contrast between what a house is and a den is. And we said that it, even looking at the original language, the word house, it means family, which is a nice term, right? 
family where there's you know commitment and there's partnership and there's love but there's also ownership that happens we said the word den in the original uh, greek language means a resort and there's a difference between a house mentality and a resort mentality and it's unfortunate that much of our christianity has become more and more resortish in nature you know where you pay a little and and everything is for you it's all about it's all about you know, meeting and catering to the needs of the people that are there as opposed to the house of prayer, which is for God. You see, one is Godward first, and, and the resort one is all about man-focused. It's all man, man, man. Listen, God loves men, you, me. He wants to help us. But the way we get helped is by coming into relationship with Him. That's how we get helped. First to the Lord. We have to first come to the Lord. So the difference between the house and the resort Mentality. I find that when you create a resort mentality, and by the way, these are things we choose. Culturally, we choose these things. Jesus said, you have made, you, not the devil, you have made it a den of thieves. And what, what we create is important for us to take responsibility for, you know? As one brother said, you know, your current situation, you either created it or allowed it, but you're responsible for it. You either created it personally, or if somebody else created it, you've allowed it to be what it is. And I believe we're in a day when God's saying, I want you to step up and take responsibility for what, what's around you and what you're experiencing. That's a good word. Amen. Amen. The resort mentality. When we have a resort mentality, which is all first man-focused, it's all first man-focused, it creates a lot of work. It's a lot of work to keep people happy. Can I get an amen? amen? Just go ahead and try it for a while. You know, as a pastor, you try to make everybody happy. It is one of the most nerve-wracking things in the world. Because as soon as you make that one happy, you tick that one off. I think the AC should be here. I think it should be here. I think the music should be loud. I think it should be quiet. I think, I think, I think. It's like, Jesus, deliver me. It's, it's tough business, man. You know? And, and, and culturally, we have to get out of the idea that our first responsibility is to please people. It's not. We are called first to please the Lord. And then from pleasing the Lord, we now know how to minister properly to people to their real needs. But when you create the resort mentality and you make it about people first, it, it generates a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Which is the thing that postures us for shortcuts. Because when you get to doing a lot of work, you're looking for shortcuts. Come on, are you with me? Come on, shortcuts come out of a lot of work. I'm looking for a way to do it quicker. I'm looking for a way to get over this thing quicker. And we create a culture that promotes shortcuts because it's man-centered. Man-centered. God's saying, if, if my people who are called by my name will come on back to me, Come on back to me as central, primary, first order of business. Don't make it a den, a resort. Make it a house of prayer, which is saying, God, you're first. That's what prayer really is. It's just saying, God, you're first. It's saying, God, when we make decisions, when we spend our budget money, when we, when we decide whether we're going to do this or not do that, it's always got to be to God first and then to others by the will of God. That's what the Macedonians did 
You can read about it, and let me read to you, those of you that are taking notes. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. There were you know, poor, suffering saints going in Jerusalem under a lot of persecution, and many of the churches, the churches of Macedonia and others, but they had gathered together to bring relief to those, and the Macedonians themselves were dealing with great poverties and all kinds of issues. But here's, so when they, you know, the apostles were trying to collect funds and, and, and kind of generate some support for the suffering saints in Jerusalem, the Macedonians, notice what Paul says concerning the Macedonian churches. And, and he said, you know, basically they responded to us, but here's how they responded. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians 8 and 5, and this they did, not as we had hoped, but first, say first with me, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and then unto us by the will of God. You see the, the, the pattern. It's real simple. We asked them for something and they were very polite in their response, but they didn't just give it to us because we asked. They said, God, they went to God first and then they came with offerings on the, based on the will of God, what God had spoken to their heart. What a wonderful culture to cultivate. First to the Lord, and then to others by the will of God. Then to others by the will of God. Shortcuts. Shortcuts are created because of a lot of work, and a lot of work is created because of a resort mentality that has first people. We go to the people first, and then to God later. When we, you know, God, that person's got a problem, so how do I fix it? And everything's about the people first, and then God, as opposed to God first. I'll never forget, boy, what a powerful, simple moment in my life. Dear brother Arthur Burt sat in my office, and he was at that time in his 80s, and traveling the world for many, many years. He was a young man. Yay. He passed on at 102. Traveling the world. We had him in our home at 100. Wasn't he 100 when he was in our home? Amazing. From Wales, yeah. Anyways, sat in my office one day and I said to him, I said, he still went up the stairs, yeah, and jumped rope in the morning in the foyer. That's not a joke. Not at 100, but in the 80s. Anyways, we, we digress. He said, I, I said to him, I said, <clears throat> uh, if you could say anything to me as a young pastor, what would you say to me? And it was real simple. He just said, you relate to God and then let God relate you to the people. Real simple. He didn't quote a bunch of scripture even. He just, he said, you want, I, if I could say one thing to you, here it is. Relate to the Lord and let God relate you to the people. Boy, I have ridden that one ever since. It has helped me more often than you'll ever know because the tendency is typically to men first instead of to God first. But this is part of our calling. If you want to be effective, oh, I got to keep here for a second. I just have to do it. So here we are. You know, redundancy is good for some. For others, it's essential. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> I was on an airplane one time, and the stewardess is doing her little spiel. In the unlikely event of a loss of cabin pressure, 
This mask is going to drop down. Don't freak out. It's all good. Simply take the mask, put it over your head, and begin breathing normally as the plane is spiraling downward. <laughs> That's my little two-cent line I add in there. As the plane is crashing, just breathe normally. It's all going to be fine. Good luck with that. But I was listening to that spiel one day, and, and, and then they go into the next piece that says, and if you're traveling with an infant or someone that has need, first put your own mask on, and then assist the person in need traveling with you. And one day the Lord just spoke to me, and he said, boy, that's a principle right there. And so many people violate the principle, myself included. We get in a moment of crisis. What do we do? We start thinking often, the people we're responsible for, how am I going to fix them? Let me tell you, the best way you can fix anybody is by getting your own mask on. Because if you don't tend you first, right, then they've got twice the problem. They've got you and the, the one that you were with. You're, you can't even help anybody. Such a simple principle, but it's very valid. We have to be a people that know where our source is. I can't help any of you. Sorry. <laughs> Unless I've been with God. I am of no real help to you if I don't bring to you something living and fresh from the presence of the Lord. And this is, this is an area... But you, why does that matter to today's message? Because we're talking about prayer and a house of prayer, which to, uh, simply said, it's a people who have God first and they're communing with God on a regular basis. That place, that, that flow will, you know, we've got to shut the shortcuts off to prayer. We're not saving time. We're not helping more people. Contrary to all the voices we listen to that tell us we're not doing enough. If you really want to help somebody, spend more time before God and you'll come out of that closet with something that can help somebody. The Macedonian churches gave themselves first to the Lord. The word first is an interesting one. Proton in the Greek it means first in time, first in place, first in order, first in importance. Right? First. First in time. Does God have the first of your time? It's a good question. Is God first place? When you're having to put things in order, is he the top of the list? Is he the most important part? Mary has chosen that which is important, the most important part, Jesus says, when they're sitting and Martha's busy running and doing. And he says, I want you to know, Mary's got it figured out on this one. Love you, Martha. But right here, learn from your, learn from your sister. She's doing something that's going to have much more benefit in the end. So, why does this matter to us today, beyond the obvious, you know? Because I'm convinced that God is calling us as a local congregation into a more effective... We've had some wonderful fruits and wonderful things God has done and is doing, but I'm telling you, God is calling us into a more effective ministry. And it's going to start in the arena of prayer cultivating prayer that was the zeal of jesus that day restoring prayer back proverbs 8 verse 34 this is in a reference to wisdom 
which is God himself. Wisdom is being personified in this particular text. And wisdom actually is speaking, which, you know, let's keep it focused. Yeah, this is 8, 34 and 35. Proverbs 8, 34, 35. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man that hears me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoso finds me, finds life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Now notice this simple scripture, but there's a principle laid out in this, these two verses. The person is blessed, number one, when you find wisdom, or in this sense, finding God. Okay? Blessed is the person that finds me. Blessed is the one that hears me. Now notice the, the, the progression and posturing of this individual. Watching daily, how often? Come on, daily, we need to develop daily disciplines. Give us this day, our daily bread. Watching daily at my gates, and then waiting at the post of my doors. You know, there's a difference between the gate and the door. When I think of a gate, I think of like, you know, you walk up to somebody's house and there's a fence around the house and there's a gate, right? So, you know, the person who, who hears me watching daily at my gates, and then we see this progression because of this daily persistence, okay? Watching daily at my gates, and then waiting at the post of my door. It's like, past the gate now, come on. Now I'm getting closer to the door. Come on, that's the house stuff. I'm getting closer in my progression, and at the door, I'm gonna get something. You see? But there's a progression. Starts at the gate, daily, coming. You know, sometimes prayer is not like full of goosebumps. Is anybody with me? I mean, sometimes prayer is plowing. Sometimes prayer is just discipline. Sometimes prayer is just a certain level of routine where we've decided that even though I want to take a shortcut today, I got so much to get done today. Prayer says daily. The person who is wise here who watches daily at my gates and waits, 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 oh, it's an important word, to wait at the post of my doors. So the other day, you know, this fast for me was awesome. I, I did probably better than I've ever done, I have to say, by God's grace, when it came to shutting my door and, and spending more time quiet with the Lord. And so I had one day where, <clears throat> you know, I almost feel bad because the gals at the office you know, I'm, I'm like, I almost, f I feel bad because I don't ever talk to him hardly. I'm just, I pop in, go to the bathroom, I come back, whoop, my door closes, you know. And uh, I almost apologize to him. I say, gosh, please don't think I'm being impersonal. You know, I just, I'm meeting. I just, it's, it's I'm having a, I just got to close my door. But I was in prayer probably four or five hours that day. And I have to tell you how many times I wanted to get out of my chair and go do something. It was crazy. I was there and I was praying and I was worshiping and I just, and then all of a sudden I start thinking about things and I learned to kind of jot notes so they just get them off. My, I just jot them and I put them off to the side, you know. But I, I, can't, I can't tell you when I've been able to do that, that long, just kind of hang there, you know. So I prayed and prayed and prayed and I, and I would start to get up. You ever been asleep and like you're, you're, you're so tired, you're so exhausted that in your mind you're saying it's time to get up, but your body won't let you get up? 
Have you ever had that happen? Like where you're trying to get up, but you can't get up? Well, that's what happened to me. I was in the chair and I was like, I need to get up. But I felt like the, I felt a hand on my chest saying, sit there. Just be there. Be there. Four or five hours. I was just, I kept wanting to go and I kept feeling this pushback. Go, pushback. So finally, finally, I heard all these little kids outside playing at school, you know. And I thought one of them was my grandson. So I thought, you know, I got to just, I, I felt a little bit of a release, I thought. <laughs> Love my little grandson, you know. So I, I snuck out the back door and I walked down the deck and I went over there to see all these kids playing out there. And I looked out and in our little prayer garden, what do I see but the statue of Jesus? <laughs> and I tell you, it's like heaven just spoke to me. What are you doing, man? <laughs> I didn't tell you to get up. I'm like, really, man? I mean, that was, you know, it's like him in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you haven't seen it, it's an awesome uh, statue out there in our little prayer garden. But he was just there. And it was like, we had this conversation, you know. Yes, your pastor talks to statues. I know, it's, it's crazy. But I tell you, I just felt like the Lord said, you're not done. Go on back in. And I was like, God, really? Four or five hours? And I'm not done? He was like, come on. Why? Why? Because I'm getting ready to birth some things. And I'm calling a people aside. And, and even though everything in you, come on, wants to get out of your chair, there's an impartation going on today if you'll receive it. Everything in you wants to get on to the doing side of things, and there is stuff to be done. Don't misunderstand me. But stuff that gets done after we've been seated in our rightful place, priority-wise, will be stuff that's eternal, not temporal. And God will, you know, the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. There's a blessing that comes from God, and there's a blessing that we generate, you know, through our, all of our doing, and we get this little thing. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of sorrow attached to that blessing. Progression, i got to get going here, sorry. Or do I? That's an interesting question. The shortcut, the resort mentality. No, don't worry, I'm not going to stay longer than I need. Either I'm just up here killing time or I'm speaking the word of the Lord. It's one of the two. Either this is something relevant and pertinent to your life, or it's not. You decide. But I know as for me, it's life itself. I, I'm not going to be able to move forward if I don't honor these principles in my own life. The progression between watching at his gate and waiting at the post of his door. I, I like to do this because at times it's helpful. The word gate, it means something that's swinging. Something that's swinging the valve of a door two leafed gate is the word here in the hebrew deleth something swinging what that says to me remember here's a progression there's the gate then there's the post of the door and if we if we learn to to watch at the gate god's going to grant us a swinging gate come on there, there's something waiting to swing open this gate was designed to let us in god is not holding us out He's just looking for people who will show up in prayer. And as, we, as we're willing to, to come in prayer, this gate was designed to swing. 
It's a swinging thing. That's what it means, to swing. God's saying, come on. You start at the gate. I'm going to bring you to the door. You can understand why shortcuts and distractions interrupt the progression from the gate to the door. Because it seems like we start off good. Come on, hang with me here now. We start off good. How many times have you done New Year's resolutions? Hey, I'm talking to a whole crowd now. Right? This year I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, right? And we start off good and then time happens and shortcuts happen and the culture that we've created which promotes the shortcuts happen, right? So interruptions typically happen. We, go, we come to the gate and everything's going well. The gate swings open and we start to move into a new spot. I'm talking about in authority, in prayer. And in the way, here comes some object carried through the house of our prayer. Here comes some distraction. Here comes some shortcut that's fostered by a resort mentality, which is people first, not God first. It's earth, not earth first, not heaven first. That's the mindset that gets wrapped around our lives. And all of a sudden, here it comes, and we never make it to the post of the door, which is where the real stuff starts occurring. The real stuff. Gates are important, and doors as well. Isaiah 45, if you've been following any of the prophetic ministries in the land today, many, many, many believe that our current president is a fulfillment in some ways in our generation of this very portion of Scripture. He was the 45th president. This is Isaiah 45. It's a reference to Cyrus, who was a heathen king, really, that God raised up to bless and rebuild Jerusalem. And... Uh, and there's a lot of interesting parallels. But in this particular passage, Isaiah 45 and verse 1, let me just read it to you because it has reference to the gates here. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leafed gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Let me say this to you. There is a people. Now, there's a natural application. We've got... Stuff happening in the natural, laws and things are being restructured. But there's a spiritual application that's occurring. And there's a people who are going to go through some gates. And check this out. The gates are not going to be closed behind them. Meaning that what we push through, others will have access to come through behind us. There is people behind us. That God is saying, if you'll do your part, show up and let the gate swing for you. I'm going to bring a whole generation in behind you. The gates will not be shut. That's a good word. The gates will not be shut. Persistent prayer opens gates. Love this account. Acts 12 and 5. You remember the story, Peter. They've killed James. And now they've taken Peter and they're getting ready to kill him. And uh, Peter was kept in prison. This is Acts 12 and verse 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing. Say that with me. Without ceasing. Of the church unto God for him. So, you know, persecution arose. Problems were coming. It drove the church to prayer 
for Peter. They didn't want to lose him like they lost James. And without ceasing, they were making their petitions. You can read the account. An angel, as a result of their prayers, is sent and says to him, quickly, get up. Now, I love this. You might not see it, but I love this. Why does he say quickly? I believe because he was saying, because I've got a limited amount of prayer cover going on. You know, their, their version is, prayer without ceasing was being made before, to God. Well, why wasn't that happening for James? I think there was a bit of a cultural uh, uh, resort thing that God was having to deal with that was changing. And now they're praying better and more, but I, you might not see it. I think it's so. He says, hurry up, get up quick, because we don't have a whole lot of prayer cover. And we're working, we're working on the prayers of the saints. I'm here because of them, but we got to move quickly. I need you to get up, get your stuff on. We're going. And so he gets them up and they start moving. They start moving. And as they're moving, Peter's thinking he's having a vision. They come out the door and uh, they get down to this iron gate and check out what happens. It's beautiful. This is verse 10. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leads unto the city which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out, and they passed on through one street, and the angel departed from him. So this gate, I'm here to say to you today, I believe this iron gate swang open because of the prayers of the saints. And they didn't have to touch it with their physical hand. This wasn't physical effort making it. This was prayer effort. This wasn't like some great business meeting and great strategies that were created in a board meeting somewhere. This was, a, this was heaven's board meeting where people came into the presence of God, stood in the counsel of the Lord, and as a benefit to it, the thing swings open on its own. Nobody even had to put their physical hand on it. So much of our physical efforts, they just come up short. It's not that they're bad in motive, but they just, they're not very wise when we have such a resource available. That's the, that's the real point. It's not that God's mad for our physical efforts. He's just saying, I've given you a much better way. A much better way. The gate swings open. Peter's going, check this out. This is awesome walks out, finally realizes this isn't a vision. This is really happening. So verse 12, when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. I love it. Rhoda comes to the door. Now, isn't this an interesting Insight. They're praying, and Peter's coming. Did you know your prayers will actually bring things to you? Prayer brings, we think we have to go after them, but if prayers are, are being heard, they actually have the capacity to bring to us answers, bring to us resources, bring to us the things we're crying out for. And here in this particular case, they're in prayer, and Peter is drawn out of prison, but not just out, but to them. And there he comes, and he shows up, and he knocks at a very natural 
door. So let's say this. Your prayers will bring things to you, spiritually open things and bring them to you, but somebody has to answer the door, naturally speaking. How many times has God brought to us something and we've not recognized the answer and have not answered the door? How many times? It's got to be more than just so we've got this, you know, there's the gate that prayer moves and then there's the door that we're supposed to open. The gate and the door. Someone needs to open gates through prayer. That's all of us, really. And then someone needs to open natural doors as prayer brings to us the resources. Do you know, maybe most of you know this, but some of you perhaps don't. We just recently, somebody many years ago, grandparent in our school, passed away and left 30, almost $33,000 to the school for a high school. Awesome. Awesome. Years ago, years ago, sitting out there, who knows, I believe that a lot of prayer, you know, and things that we don't even come, thank God when the check came, they didn't, you know, throw it out as junk mail. I mean, somebody opened it, <laughs> said, hello, wow, here it is. Just so happened before this ever hit that they had, the school board had been discussing the possibility of a high school for next year and so on and interesting timing of these things in the eyes of God. Yeah, we can give God thanks for that, huh? It's awesome. Let me, let me say it while I'm here. It's just the beginning of resources coming into this place for the glory of God. Hear it by the word of the Lord. It's just the beginning. The power of persevering prayer. I think it's why Jesus sent me back to my office. Surely I was done praying. Oh no. No, no. Come on back. Peter was outside knocking. Obviously, the door was locked. Would you agree? Come on, if the door was open and Rhoda left and she was just going to tell everybody, Peter would say, I'm just coming in. It's Mary's house. I mean, come on, everybody knows me. They'd be happy to see me. It's clear the door was locked. Probably, hear this, for fear of the Jews. You know, that's why they were shut in when Jesus was resurrected and they were there, doors being shut for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of persecution. They were afraid. So no doubt the door was locked. And so the question is, what doors created by fears in our lives, fears that we have not been willing to open to answered prayers. I don't know if you're hearing me today, but there's things coming our way that prayers, years of prayers and prayers that are yet to be held are bringing to us, but fear keeps us shut in behind our door. But I'm telling you, God's getting ready to break fear off the church. Fear of prospering. Fear of miraculous deliverances. Fear of what men shall say about you. Fears, fears, fears. God's breaking this stuff off of us. Causing us to see. I mean, 
it's such a, I so thank God for sharing this story with us. You know, he could have just covered them and said, wow, man, that was kind of ignorant of y'all to not answer the door. And I'm not even going to put that in the book because I just want to cover you guys. No, he put it in the book because it's really all of us. Can't point a finger at them. It's all of us. And he put it there to help us see something. I want you to pray in faith, believing. And then I want you to pray in receiving what you've been believing. Can you receive what you believe? Clearly their belief worked. They got an angel stirred up, got a guy out of prison that they were asking for. Now they needed to receive what they had been believing for. And fear is one of the quickest ways to undermine your ability to receive. Fear broken off. We've got to start seeing things differently. I'm going to kind of close with this idea, but I was reminded the other day, years ago, anybody like to collect shark's teeth? Yeah, a couple of you do. There's an art to that. Is there not an art to that if you've never done it? You know, <clears throat> I can remember my dad used to go, he loved to collect shark's teeth, and he'd get, he'd get, all, he'd get jars full of them. And I, I, mean, I couldn't hardly find any, you know. And then eventually, over time, I learned how to see them. You just kind of, you develop an eye for them. They're a little shiny, you know, there's certain, certain things you're looking for, certain shell formations on the ground that are conducive to it and such. And I got pretty good at it, I could find them, you know. I was thinking, hey, man, I'm chip off the old block. My dad's good. I'm good. You know, I've got it going on. I can get shark's teeth now. I'm, I'm getting them, right? <clears throat> and then one day, our daughter Sarah comes home with a tooth that big. That's no joke, man. Like three and a half inch, whatever. I mean, it's this huge, great white shark's tooth, prehistoric thing like this. I'm going. And she was just, how old was she? Ten years old, maybe. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is so humbling. You know, she has like so outdone me here. But it was amazing. And uh, so I was asking her about it. I said, so Sarah, one day we were at the beach, I said, well, show me what that looked like. And I tell you, what that looked like was nothing like what the little teeth looked like. You know, this top part where the gum is, and it's kind of bony brown or dark black with kind of like porousy looking. That little round nub was sticking up out of the sand, and that's what she picked up. Huh? A gas station in the dirt. It wouldn't, who'd be looking there? Little nub sticking up. And I got to get to thinking about that. It's like the Lord said, you know, one of the reasons you don't find things like that is because you're so programmed to look for the little things. You, you just, you're so programmed. You, you, you spent so much time just trying to find the little stuff. Just content to get the little ones. God says, I'm changing your view of things. I want you to start looking for different kinds of things. I want you to start looking for big things. I'm going to give you, Isaiah 45, the treasures of darkness, hidden riches that are in secret places. I'm going to give them to you. But i got to retrain your eyes. i got to get you to start turning over things that in the past you've walked past. Yeah, I, things that you've walked right past in days gone by, I'm going to cause you now to start uprooting them. I'm going to cause you to start getting curious about what else is out there for you. Come on, somebody, talk to me. 
There's a move of the Spirit of God right on the horizon. And God's got people praying, and we're going to become more and more, by God's grace, a culture, a house, not a den, to God first and to others by the will of God, where the presence of God is so manifest in our gatherings at home personally and collectively together, where angels are dispatched, come on, gates are swinging open, resources and prayers that are being called out are coming to us and fear broken off of us to begin to answer for big things coming from a big God. Amen? Come on, jump up on your feet and let's pray this morning. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you for zeal. Here's a question to ask yourself, not just now, but moving forward. What are the things that walk through your prayer time? What are the vessels that get carried through your time of prayer? What are they? I realize that, you know, I'm in a unique posture as a pastor where I, I'm afforded large windows for prayer and for seeking God. And maybe most all really have secular jobs, most of you, and time is, I, real, I get all that, but don't, don't, don't let that let you off the hook too quick. <laughs> okay, don't, don't let that let you off. What, what is, it, what, what, what is, your, what is your, your daily routine look like in prayer? And what are the things that come walking through your time of prayer, a shortcut that's getting taken, that's really not going to save you time, but cost you time? What are they? And what are the things that you need to forbid? Jesus forbade them to do it. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the wonderful calling that you've extended to us. Lord, I thank you that uh, this is uh, a challenging word, clearly, but it's, a, it's one full of promise. It's one full of, uh, it's your desire to bless us, Lord, not to heart hurt us, but to prosper us and to see us reach so far beyond our own human abilities through the realm of the Spirit and through prayer. And God, I thank you for a fresh wave of prayer. I thank you for the, you said that we would be joyful in the house of prayer. Lord, that there would come such a delight and a, a, a joy waiting at the gate, hanging out at the post of your door, that nothing would interrupt the progression, Lord, that the benefits would be tangible to all. Lord, that people would see and wonder, you know, take notice that we've been with you and they would want what we're carrying. God, I just speak a blessing today over this congregation and even those watching by internet. God, I thank you that your, your spirit is wooing this generation like never before into greater levels of prayer and ministry to you, which equals ministry to a lost world with authority. And I thank you for blessing us with it, Father. Help us, Holy Spirit. We need your help. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen and amen.